Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, May 26th, 2022 edition. And I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you to hear your questions and give you my unbiased, straightforward answers. Now, my goal is to help you understand the current market environment that we're in and avoid the pitfalls that so many investors fall prey to. And there are many. We are humans. We are flawed creatures. We all make mistakes. But the goal is to limit the pain of those mistakes and to capitalize on the smart things that you do, the smart investments that you make. And while the macro environment is challenging, it doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities. Most people look at the broad indices and they say, oh, the market's crap. I don't want to invest in the market. They they want to be all out. Well, if you look at the indices, certainly true, but there's always opportunity. It's just not in the exciting parts of the market. And unfortunately, too many investors get caught up in that, in the companies that are exciting to them, exciting to own and say, Hey, I own, I have shares in X, Y, and Z company. I'm a shareholder in this new innovative company. It's not as exciting to say I own Exxon. But guess what's exciting is seeing your portfolio value go up instead of down. And for many years, investors could have both. Here's this great story about this great, exciting disruptive company that's changing this particular industry. And I've made 
tons of money on it. They were having their cake and eating it too. Well, guess what? Times have changed. And you have to realize that every market has its winners, has its losers. And sometimes they're companies that you love and sometimes they're companies that bore you to death. But that's not what this is about. Financial freedom is not about looking and acting cool and saying you own X, Y, and Z because that is that looks and feels good. It's about making smart investment decisions, smart money decisions. So that's what I'm here to help you do. To operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success, to bring you along in what we're doing. In our success. I'm not Kramer. I'm not CNBC. I'm not here to just get ratings. I'm here to teach, to inform, to guide. So no matter what I'm talking about, I'm here to present it all without bias and give you the facts as I see them. And then apply, layer on, my 20 plus years of investment experience that not only my own investment experience, but I've been doing this show, geez, over a dozen years. So I've heard all of the mistakes that people have made. Clients, mistakes clients have made after they've come to us or before they've come to us, excuse me. I've heard the ebbs and flows of ebbs and flows of the, the sentiment that I can feel based on the calls that I'm getting. And I hope you pick up on that as well. Typically, when people are most excited, excited about a particular sector, it's usually not the best time to invest in it. When you get a lot of calls about it, it's usually not the best time to invest in it. So I'm here. I'm ready to answer your finance and investment questions right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, you can leave your question as well on our Invest Talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's still 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Jacob from New York, and I love your show. Good job, guys. Just wanted to get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce, CRM. Uh, it's just one of those symbols that I like for a long, long, very long hold. I know your stance on tech, generally speaking. I know it's probably not a buy point this second, but I just was wanted to get your thoughts, generally speaking, and also uh, what you think a future buy point would be for uh, this particular one. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Looking at Salesforce, this is kind of the original cloud stock. To be honest with you, it's kind of the first, though, uh, cloud software is going to take over the world. They've been doing this. Let's see. When did they go public? Let's go to a monthly chart here. I'm going to zoom all the way back. Yeah, they went public back in 2004. Pretty crazy. Uh, now, I will say it is near some pretty good support here, around $150 per share. Problem is, it's still trading at a 41 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Still, still pretty expensive in my book, um, and and trending lower. So, 
Well, I do think there's probably a near-term bounce. I don't know if I'm really in the camp that this is uh, quite a buy yet because the valuation multiples are still uh, much, much too high. Now, where would I pick it up? I'm looking here. 120. It's at 162 now. That's where I see major support. Good support now. Major support around 120, 162 and changes were closed today. Uh, and so I would be patient on it. I think it's a, it's a good company, but I just still wouldn't buy it at these valuations. You're talking about free cash flow, about 5.2 billion, and it's still a $160 billion market cap. So about a 3% free cash flow yield, which is much better than it's been in a while. But you're starting to see earnings go negative. This year, earnings was to drop 3%. Are you going to pay 30 plus times for a company whose earnings are shrinking? I don't think so. So I'm eyeing 120. At 120, screaming buy. This is Invest Talk, and we are moving into a break. So I'm ready for your questions now at 888 chart Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today is based on a story, based on this question. Can the surging cost of natural gas be stopped? Drivers are paying record high prices at the gas pump. Well, guess what? Utility companies, our utility bills, are set to increase as well with natural gas inventories very low. And we're going to discuss how that feeds into higher prices across the economy. Also, I want to touch on tech shares and how they are reacting uh, in, in this environment and how uh, maybe the the end is not quite near yet. So we'll look at that. Also, CapEx, that's been one very bright spot in the economy over basically since COVID is non-residential fixed investment. This is basically companies building out manufacturing, distribution, etc. And that's 
that's a, a huge bright spot in our economy where people are, are not discussing. Because once again, it's not exciting. Building a plant is not exciting for the media. But it's happening in a big, big way, reshoring manufacturing. So we're going to look at those trends and whether they are durable or not. And then we're going to look at the bond market and the shifts over the past couple of weeks and what that might mean for interest rate sensitive sectors like real estate. Now let's take a look at the market. The S&P was up 79 points, about 2% on the day. And we're getting some fall through and a relief rally of sorts here as the month end rebalancing takes in full of, you know, goes in full effect. And what happens here is when stocks are down, there are funds that just naturally don't think about it. They just say, okay, equities are down. They're now underway with our, in our portfolio. We sell off some bonds that have held up relatively well uh, this month. And we rebalance, and that's bringing a lot of flows into the market, uh, as well as a short covering rally, uh, and that's that's very common, especially when you get the VIX very high, like it was a couple weeks ago into the the mid 30s, and that means there's a lot of people offsides. Uh, sentiment has gotten pretty poor recently, and oftentimes that brings a once again a relief rally. I think also bad news. Is kind of good news for the market saying you know the economic numbers have been not very hot over the past few weeks and i guess some hope that this will bring the a pause to the path of, of fed tightening so i think that's another another aspect that is bringing some life into the market right now you had oil uh, up to to new highs natural gas uh, like we're going to talk about here in a minute up to new highs and you had gold. Gold was uh, down a bit um, on the fact that rates were uh, they were up a tad today. So um, that was the market. But overall, we're seeing uh, oil bullish, gold bullish, uh, and short-term bullishness in the market as a whole. Now let's go to the invoice, the Invest Talk Voice Bank for this question about asset allocation. Hey, Stephen Justin, this is Keith from Redondo Beach. Question on asset allocation, stocks and bonds. You know, historically, you want some percentage of your portfolio in stocks and some in bonds to offset the volatility. You get historically a, a risk premium for investing in stocks and, and bonds allow you to rebalance when the stocks go down. Well, this time, the bonds went down with the stocks. I mean, every bond fund I own is down 20%, just like every every stock I own. So bonds paying nothing, rising interest rates, maybe they'll pay a little bit more, so they'll pay next to nothing. Why would anyone buy bonds in this, in this market? You're, you get nothing in return, and they don't balance your portfolio. They don't provide you the stability that they have historically provided. So you don't get the return, and you don't get the, the safety. Why would anyone buy bonds? Why would your allocation be above zero now and for the foreseeable future until they get back up to, you know, historical norms where they're paying six, eight, 10%. Anyway, thanks a lot. Appreciate your, your uh, show. Bye-bye. Great question. And this is a dilemma for a lot of 60, 40 uh, type investment funds. Your, your kind of standard traditional 60, 40, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Uh, and, you know, in this environment, you're correct. 
Uh, bond funds are not a good place to be, especially anything kind of longer term. Uh, and those longer term bonds mainly are the ones that are down 20% plus. So just like in the stock market, you don't want to paint the whole sector as with a broad brush and saying, oh, I don't own bonds at all. Well, you don't own treasuries of any kind and you don't want to own anything super long term in duration. But short to medium term, uh, those can be uh, those can fill a hole uh, in a portfolio for stability. And so that's where I would own bonds. We're heading to a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. I want to continue a bit uh, with that last question in regards to asset allocation. And you never want to completely shun a an asset class, uh, even if the broader environment makes that particular asset class as a whole uh, relatively unattractive. And I would agree that after basically 40 years of declining interest rates and, and thus a, a bond bull market, bonds are, are far less attractive than they have been in the past, especially with with inflation likely to remain relatively elevated, much higher than we're, we're used to. Uh, but that just means you shift your, your strategy, means you don't take as much duration risk, like I said, no long-term bonds, but more closer to short to medium term. And you don't invest in treasuries, which yields are going to be capped by the central bank. And basically, you're going to earn real negative real yields on those types of instruments. Now, what you want to take is credit risk. In an inflationary environment, inflation is good for most debtors. Because prices go up overall. And as long as your margins stay relatively the same, it's actually easier to pay back that debt. The debt becomes cheaper in real terms. And so what we do for clients, we invest in kind of medium term, high grade corporate debt, because you're at least getting good six, six and a half percent yield right now, uh, much better than the, what, two and three quarters you're getting on a 10 year treasury. So do you want to be underweight bonds? Yes, but they still will look at the last month. They still at most times will produce stability in rougher equity markets uh, that we'll see. But you're right. You want to be underweight them, but don't eliminate them completely, especially if you're a retiree. And my focus point today is based on this question. Can the surging cost of natural gas be stopped? Now, drivers are paying record high prices at the pump, but utility bills are also headed higher thanks to what I've said many times before. Why I like natural gas more than oil in general. And that's because natural gas is harder to move um, and it's harder to, uh, it's harder to produce in many parts of the world. 
Now, natural gas prices hit above $9 per million BTUs on Wednesday, the highest level in more than a decade. They were up 6% at one point, the highest, uh, and, and that's the highest uh, since August 2008. Another three catalysts for this. Little production growth, we talked about this with executives not being incentivized to produce more, but to produce profits, cash flow, and dividends. And that means they are more, more judicious in handing out their CapEx for new projects. Then you have ESG, so pressure to not produce various types of fossil fuels. Number two is gigantic, as much as we possibly can, exports of liquefied natural gas to Europe because of the war. Now, my question is, when does this become politically unpalatable? I think it will be. Sometime by the end of Biden's presidency. And I could easily see, and this is the biggest risk to, I think, these stocks that sell natural gas or produce natural gas domestically, is if Biden says, yeah, no more exports. Now, that would decimate Europe. So I don't think they're going to do that yet. But there's not as much backlash quite yet. But if $9 per BTU turns into $15 per BTU turns into $20 per BTU, suddenly, businesses especially are going to start to get a little scared. Because remember, if you're producing, if you have a if you have a factory, here in the US, one of the benefits compared to the rest of the world is cheap energy, relatively cheap energy. And if that goes away, look what's happening in Europe. Germany, they're very export driven. And if their, their cost of natural gas is prohibitive, prohibitive for them to produce a lot of goods. And so they just stop producing and that'll happen here. So that's a big factor that's happening right now that could change, but right now that's what's driving them up. And then storage levels are 17% below their five-year average at this time of year. And so you have droughts here in the Western US that's also curtailing hydropower and then nuclear shutdowns. We're trying to shut down our last one here in California. So natural gas is up 30% this month. And that's a third straight month of over 20% increases. They're at up 150% so far this year. So I don't see an end in sight until we institute some sort of export ban. Now on the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline, seven steps to estimating your in-retirement cash flow needs. Rules of thumb may be too high for affluent retirees with high savings rates, but healthcare costs are a major swing factor. For now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. 
Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI Red Teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Duncan from New York. Thank you again for the question I asked about Coca-Cola and Johnson & Johnson. I always love being educated by you guys. My next question is about a thesis statement that I kind of incorporated myself after learning more about what you guys do on the show and your ideas. I invested in ETF Veggie, V-E-G-I. The reason why I invested in this was because of the war in Ukraine. I've learned that wheat corn production is going to obviously go through the roof for those producers. And I believe that, for example, the U.S. would start manufacturing or creating its own supply. So I chose this ETF because it is American. And I know that someone else asked about Mosaic. That's also in the ETF, MOS. But I just wanted to be diversified and safe because I'm just trying out new investments. Could you just let me know your thoughts, whether it was a decent investment thesis 
And uh, if I should pick up more of this ETF, thank you very much. Have a good day. All right, looking at the iShares MSCI Global Agricultural Producer ETF. VEGI is a symbol, kind of a cute symbol there. I like it. And I'm going to give this broadly a thumbs up, especially it has 43% non-US equity exposure. So you get some foreign uh, exposure there as well. And I do think this is the next phase of the inflation trade, which is agriculture and the inputs of agriculture. And you get companies like John Deere, obviously the main seller of uh, tractors and, and equipment uh, to be used on farms. And then Nutrient, that's second, about 10% of this particular fund. And they sell fertilizer, uh, Archer, Dan Archer Daniels Midland, a major seller of seeds and other uh, inputs to growing food. Uh, so, you know, you get a broad diversification, like you said, very different uh, types of companies, but all within the, the ag space. And so if you're trying to not pick the winner, just get broad diversification, broad exposure, this is a good way to do it. That's V-E-G-I is the symbol. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's talk a little bit about CapEx, capital spending. And there's been a boom in capital spending really since the middle part of 2020. On an inflation-adjusted basis, that's inflation-adjusted, CapEx has increased 9.2% per year or per quarter. Uh, that was in the first quarter, excuse me. Uh, through the first quarter, there we go, since mid-2020. So it's been a consistent increase in CapEx as companies are trying to reshore manufacturing. They're trying to smooth out supply chains, and that means that producing that locally oftentimes is just more resilient. Right, Just-in-time inventory has been traded for uh, the trade-off there and efficiency of just-in-time inventory is, is resiliency. And you clearly see that over the past couple of years. Now, a tight labor market has made it harder for companies to bring on a lot of new workers. So labor costs have gone up. What does that mean? Instead of investing in new workers, because they're expensive, they're investing in new production facilities. Helps ease the hiring strains because it makes current workers more efficient and preserve the profits that they're, they're trying to make. So that's the good news. That we're reshoring a lot of manufacturing, not talked about enough. But we're seeing some signs of cracks here. On a May survey from the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, 27% of respondents said they plan on increasing capital expenditures over the next six months. 17.4 said they plan to decrease them. So still more planning to increase versus decrease. But in April, only 6.5% of respondents said, respondents said they plan to decrease or reduce capital spending over the next six months. So that went from 16.5 to 17.4. And the question is, is, the economy, is, the, is, the, is it the stock market? Is it sending a signal to companies that they need to be more cautious? that the Fed is going to slow the economy too much and so that their CapEx spending won't have the same 
bang as they would expect, right? Because they need their business to stay stable or grow in order for that CapEx spending to be worthwhile, to make the numbers work. And if so, if the next year, two years are a lot more pessimistic than they had thought a few months back, then they may slow down some of that CapEx. And I think that's probably a big worry from the Fed. They want to continue to see that reinvestment here in the U.S., heal supply chains to bring down spending, because that's a big part of it, too. Remember, the Fed is a blunt tool. It's about they, they raise interest rates in order to bring down demand, to weaken the economy as a whole. But they can't solve the supply issue. But you know who can? Companies, by making their own supply chains more resilient. And so what was interesting was Bank of America, they have a survey and they've had, they, they, they surveyed investment professionals and those investment professionals said that they would rather see companies spend money on shareholder payouts and pay down debt than on capital spending. So that's that was interesting as well uh, to see the sentiment from investors, professional investors saying, hey, maybe the road's a little rockier going forward. You should buy back shares instead of spending that on, on, on CapEx that may be unprofitable. So starting to see a little crack there, but I also want to highlight that that in general is an underappreciated part of our economy. Now, we don't like to spend too much time on any one topic or sector, yet we keep getting questions about crypto. And as Steve and I say, you drive the direction of the program. So here's an iTunes review question. The Pump 51 says, hey, Justin, a while back, you said that you believe Bitcoin will fall to the teens by the summer. I think it will. It's fallen all the way back, all the way to 26,000 the past few days. And I'm curious now where you would see Bitcoin by year end. Now, that's definitely notoriously difficult to decipher. Uh, but what the recent move has shown you is it's basically a liquidity trade. Um, you also have the issues with the stablecoin market and increasing regulation. Um, and, and, and there's going to continue pressure to the downside due to higher rates, lower liquidity, weaker economy, etc. And Look at the bounce in the market over the past few days. And crypto's done nothing. So it continues to trend lower. It con continues to kind of hang around this 30,000 mark. So to me, it's likely to break lower. Now, does it get there by the end of the summer into the teens? Certainly possible. Um, where it is by year end, a lot depends on policy. Uh, a lot depends on regulation. So it's definitely a more murky time for crypto. I usually have a good sense of the next six months. I probably have a good sense of the next three months for crypto, probably negative. Um, but, you know, I just, it's not a place that I would be investing in right now. I think your, this is your ultimate long duration asset because what is Bitcoin? It's the play on the future, right? Well, where can you use Bitcoin? Where can you use the cryptocurrencies in the real world? Remember I talked about how this is a, the new market is about tangible assets, not intangible assets. Crypto is the ultimate intangible asset. It is in the ether. 
And in order to apply it today, you can do it. You can, you can off ramp it to fiat it's challenging, but for the most part, it's a place for speculation. That's what crypto is. The ultimate greater fool theory, who's going to pay more? Cause there's no actual utility within staying within crypto. Very little anyway, right? You can use it in games and, you know, certain things here and there, but for the most part, you need to off ramp it to fiat. And so it's just not something I would be overweight in any size. Uh, cause I think it's going lower, uh, and probably for a good while you're going to get bounces, but the chart looks terrible. Now let's pivot back to the invest talk voice bank for this question about investment strategy. Hey, Steve and Justin, uh, Colin from Ohio, longtime listener, love the show. Had a question on a strategy I recently heard about. has to do with tax loss harvesting. Let's say that I uh, have purchased SPY and it's now down 6%. Could I sell it in a taxable account and then repurchase something like VOO or RSP before the 30-day wash rule? and use that as a uh, tax benefit if it is to grow moving forward. Thanks and uh, appreciate all you guys do. Well, this is a question probably better for a CPA. Uh, we don't do you know things like that, but it sounds like it could work. Uh, they are different assets, although they're, you know, SPY is very correlated uh, with VOO, they're both falling the S&P. So I don't see any reason why you wouldn't, but I would double check with a CPA. These these are kind of unique things. Uh, I know that you can do it within companies uh, because they are different companies. For example, you could sell Exxon and buy Chevron. It's going to be very correlated to oil prices either way. Um, but... With VOO and SPY, you're talking about basically the exact same thing, the exact same mix of stocks, but just a different vehicle. So I would double check with uh, your CPA on that. Now take a look at the calendar. Summer is just around the corner, less than a month away, and a lot of volatility in the market. And that means you need to pay attention for more pitfalls as well as more opportunity, because there is opportunity. Areas that have not been as volatile this year are the opportunities. The areas that have been more volatile this year, not really the opportunities. And if you look under the hood of the market, you'll be able to understand that. And that's what I try to do with our listeners when we do portfolio reviews is help them understand what parts they are exposed to that are unlikely to trend well for the foreseeable future due to higher levels of volatility, poor economic backdrop, poor valuation, et cetera, and which areas of their portfolio should remain strong. And so if you want to reach out to me via investtalk.com or uh, our office number, which is 800-557-5461, we can set up a portfolio review, a free cons consultation to go over that uh, via telephone or go to meeting and see how we can help. Maybe it's just quick advice. Maybe it's us managing uh, a portfolio or two. Uh, whatever it is, I just want to 
find a solution for your goals. Because that's what you're looking for too, right? Solution to your broad financial goals to create financial freedom. And that's what we do on these calls. So love to help you in any way. Now we'll squeeze in another caller question next. So hang on. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. I'm calling on a question on the stock Genko Shipping and Trading, GNK. I'm looking to get into the stock and wanted to get your opinion overall and what you think a good entry point is. Thank you. So I'll be listening to the answer on your show. All right, this is Genco Shipping and Trading Limited. Historically, this is a company that has not done very well from a profitability perspective. Consistent, consistently increasing their share count, uh, negative free cash flow for the majority of the last decade. But the last two years, post-COVID, they've done very, very well. So the question is, is this new environment where it's uh, more difficult to trade? Uh, is that something that is going to benefit this this company? So far, it has. And they operate dry bulk cargo ships around the world. And they generate revenue through charter agreements, spot market voyage charters, pool agreements, spot market related time charters, etc. So the chart looks good. And that's what you really have to go on here. The market will tell you when this environment is no longer favorable to them. Uh, it's fine. I, I wouldn't be against buying it. It's relatively cheap based on current earnings of roughly $5 per share. So uh, if you want to buy it, I'm okay with it, but have a stop probably of the 100-day moving average. If it drops below that, I would definitely be out. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve. I've been looking to invest in different mutual funds and found some Franklin Templeton funds that I really like. Uh, one in particular that I wanted to get an idea of what you thought of is the Franklin Income Fund, uh, ticker symbol FKIQX. Uh, would love to get your opinion on what you think about this fund. I'm looking to allocate quite a bit of money from my IRA into it to help generate some income. Thank you so much. Look forward to hearing my question on the uh, podcast. Bye-bye. All right, looking at FKIQX. And the first thing I notice here is you definitely have the wrong, you should not be buying this particular share class. So this is an A share class. This is a good lesson for everybody. 
that are buying mutual funds. Don't buy the A shares. Now there are some A shares that don't have a load, but this one does. Vast majority of A shares have some type of load. And you, um, you're paying three and three quarters just to get into it. You should never pay that. Especially because the expense ratio is 0.72. And if you just look at, I'm just bringing this up here, the uh, same fund, just different share class, the ADV class, FRIAX, that has no load and a 0.47% expense ratio. So you get lower expense ratio and no load. So never buy the A shares. Okay. Um, now let's look at the portfolio of this that you're looking at is mainly in equities, fixed income, uh, and the equities are large cap value. So that's good. Overall, the bond side, it's a short to short duration. It's only about 2.8 years on average, but low quality double B on average. Uh, so this is a good example of limited duration risk, but taking credit risk. And I think that's a smart way to go. So it's certainly leaning towards the the right part of the market. Um, and that's why you today it's only down 1.6% so far. Uh, so I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Uh, is there are there better funds out there? Sure. Uh, but it's definitely one of the better ones that you could buy that kind of covers both equity and the fixed income markets. Now, lastly, let's touch on the tech sector. Now, some people are saying, including myself, the tech bubble 2.0 has popped. Others that are more optimistic, they're saying it's merely taking a breather. Mainly, those people go by the name of Kathy Wood. And her ARC fund is down 62% over the last 12 months. And she still has steel belief in her strategy, no matter how value destructive it's been to her investors. And you look across the space, Netflix, they now are trying to introduce ads to turn things around. Peloton got rid of its founder, lowered its prices. Snapchat warned of online advertising growth. Uh, Zillow abandoned its iBuying program. And just those four names are down 73% on average over the past 12 months. Yet, ARC has seen $1.4 billion in net inflows this year. Hey, for all you ARC investors, if you want to light capital on fire, why don't you come over here, give it to me. I'll definitely uh, treat it a lot better than Kathy Wood will. So what these investors, these, these growth, you know, growth investors, bulls in the, in the, uh, the tech space don't realize is that after the first dot-com bubble, it took 15 years for the NASDAQ to regain its peak from early 2000. 15 years. So a, a lot of people say, oh, I'm a long-term holder. How long-term are you? 15 years? You can be able to hold that long? And so I know it's hard for people to face the facts. It's part of human emotion. You don't want to take losses. But you can wait 15 years to get back to even when you could reallocate to parts of the 
market that are growing, that are doing well, that are earning profits, that are paying dividends, etc. So it's still shocking to me that money is still flowing into this space. And it just shows you investors are not yet despondent, which means there aren't widespread bargains. There are a few, but no widespread bargains out there in the tech space. Well, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave your question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.